that we get the joy of studying. And what a journey we've been on this morning. But this morning, we get one of the weirdest passages for us to study. We get the genealogies. And some of you are looking at me, why are we studying the genealogies? Somebody asked me yesterday, surely there is a purpose in studying the genealogies. And yes, beloved, there is a purpose in studying the genealogies. So let us go ahead and continue. And let us begin reading in Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. In verse 1, I'm not going to ask you to stand for the reading and reverencing of the Word of God due to the length of the passage, but I do ask that as we enter into the Word of God, that you would reverence Him in your heart, that you would give the reverence that is due this beautiful passage set before us this morning. Let us begin reading in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made He him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Verse 3, And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years, and begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were eight hundred years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years, and he died. And Seth lived an hundred and five years, and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos eight hundred and seven years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were nine hundred and twelve years, and he died. And Enos lived ninety years, and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan eight hundred and fifteen years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were nine hundred and five years, and he died. And Canaan lived seventy years and begat Mahalel. And Canaan lived after he had begotten Mahalel eight hundred and forty years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were nine hundred and ten years, and he died. And Mahalel lived sixty and five years and begat Jared. And Mahalel lived after he begat Jared eight hundred and thirty years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalel were eight hundred ninety and five years, and he died. And Jared lived an hundred and sixty and two years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch eight hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were nine hundred sixty and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived sixty and five years, and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived in hundred eighty and seven years, and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech seven hundred eighty and two years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were nine hundred sixty and nine years, and he died. And Lamech lived in hundred eighty and two years, and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord had cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah five hundred ninety and five years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were seven hundred seventy and seven years, and he died. And Noah was five hundred years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
Let us go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you once more for the wonderful privilege that it is to be able to gather together and, and, and give thanks for what you've given us and to recall your history and to go through your history and seek to understand what is it still saying even in the present generation. Father, we know that we're not supposed to be unhitched from the Old Testament as the one was once said, but Father, we're questioning sometimes how are we still hitched to it, O oh God? Father, how are we still married to it in a way that it communicates to us, that it helps us to better see who you are? And we pray that special grace in that this morning, that we would do exactly that, God, that we enter into your word with humbleness of spirit, God, that we would seek to understand what you would have us to. Not, Father, asking for some secret knowledge, but Father, just asking for what's in your word, for the clarity of your word. God, we just pray and rest in you as you would communicate these things to us this morning, sowing them in us, God, that they would produce fruit in due season. God, if there be somebody here that's never been born again, we pray that you would bring them to yourself. We pray that they would see these truths. They would repent, turn, and trust only in you and you alone, O oh God, Father, that you welcome them with the most gracious, loving, compassionate arms that there are. Lord, we just pray that that would be the truth this morning, God. We pray that we would go forth from here, proclaiming to somebody else these precious promises that you've given to us, that somebody else may come to know you in what we call the free pardon of sin, God, that we may rejoice together in that day of eternity as well as in this day presently. Lord, we ask all these things that you'd feed your lambs and feed your sheep in our congregation and in all the congregations meeting worldwide right now, oh God. We ask it in thy son, Jesus Christ, holy name. Amen and amen. Sometimes you just get to talking to the Lord and you don't quite want to let up. There seems to be another thing and another thing and another thing that you have to give Him thanks for. And it's, it's Thanksgiving week. You ought to spend time this week giving thanks to God. Giving thanks to God in front of Him openly. But you know what my problem is? Sometimes I don't just get to give thanks to Him openly. Sometimes I have to be like, I'm sorry. Miss Terrell sometimes gets tired of me saying, I'm sorry. Because sometimes I have to say it to her so many times in a day because I realize how imperfect I am. If I'm realizing anything in shortly and just... Just over two years of marriage is, man, I messed up. I got a whole lot of problems that I, I, I didn't realize I had. And it's not that she's trying to fix me, correct me. No, Miss Tara's never been one that is in that fashion. She's not trying to fix me. She's not trying to break me of good habits. I praise her for that. That's not our relationship. And it's a wonderful relationship. I'm not trying to change her. But I watch how God's changing me through her. That's the problem is, even in as wonderful of a gift as what he's given us in a marriage is, she's married to an insanely imperfect man. She's married to somebody who's insanely imperfect. And the problem in each of our relationships is we continue to be united with people. It may not be in marriage. It may be just it's your brother, it's your sister, it's your mother, it's your father, it's your aunt, your uncle, whoever it is in your family or if it's in your workplace. We're with these people living our lives and there is brokenness in relationships as we continue to talk about. And all of it, we look to God and we say, God, I'm not quite sure uh, you've given us this community as a good thing when all that we're getting from it is a whole bunch of problems. I mean, if you remember where we left off last week, we left off and somebody had done killed somebody. We're only in the second generation. And I just have to say that I was having a conversation with somebody about sin and they were talking about how they don't have this powerful testimony, how they've got a boring testimony, how they weren't in drugs, they weren't in doing all these things of the world before they were saved as a young child. And I'm like, I understand. I've got that same kind of testimony. I was only nine years old. I can tell you a lot of bad things that I've done, but in the world's eyes, they're going to look at it and they're going to have a lot of grace for a nine-year-old. They're like, well, you were a nine-year-old doing nine-year-old things. And that's what most of the world is going to look at us and do with our sinfulness is most of the world is going to look at us and our sinfulness and say, well, that's okay. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay when emphatically it's not. Because I'm going to go back to, the, to Adam and Eve in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. They ate some fruit. Y'all, they ate some fruit. 
Do y'all see how non-important that seems to the rest of the world? If the rest of the world is reading this book and they're simply reading it as to see what did you do wrong and you tell somebody they ate some fruit and they were cast out of the Garden of Eden, somebody's going to begin to ask a whole lot of questions about God. I don't think they're going to be asking too many questions about Adam and Eve. They're going to say, okay, Adam and Eve, they may not have been perfect, but hey, they, all they did was eat some fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. It's not that bad of a crime. There's this entire movie that is set out there that is set in the French Revolution that a man has broken forth, has been freed from prison, but he's supposed to live his life as a parolee all this time. And he had undergone this terrible sentence because he stole a loaf of bread. But the penalty was so many years sentence in prison. And everybody is looking at the story and we're supposed to see the injustice of the situation. We're supposed to see how the guy trying to return him to prison from fleeing, the one who has fled from his probation, the one that is chasing him. We're supposed to see him as the bad guy because we ought to have a little bit more grace on this guy because he stole a loaf of bread to feed his family. Can any of us not look at that situation and understand that's not that bad of a crime? That's not that bad of a sin? It's a sin. He shouldn't have stole. We know that. And he was supposed to repay sevenfold if he had been caught. We know these different things. But all of us are going to have a little bit of compassion and understanding. So to my friend that has the boring testimony what is he supposed to do? How is he supposed to counsel somebody? We're going to turn you to Genesis chapter 3 and show us again, they ate some fruit. That's how bad the sin was. They ate some fruit. That's it. That's the end of it. Beloved, if you're just looking at it in human terms, that's why the boringness of the testimony is. I've done things that I wish that I could I wish I could go back and turn the clocks and not have done, but I've had to confess them before God. There are some horrible things. I've not gone in. I've not murdered somebody like Cain did, but I have stood just as guilty before God did. I have done worse than what Adam and Eve did just eating some fruit. Surely each and every one of you can look at your lives and know you've done something worse than just eating some fruit in your lives. What it all boils down to is who's in charge of this thing? And how do we disobey Him? If we disobey the one who is in charge of these things, then we have sin. There is not a one of us this morning that does not come under the condemnation of sin. And we may need to remember these things. We may need to remember we're all broken before the throne of God. We're all imperfect before the throne of God. We all deserve to be exiled from our community. And that's what happens when we sin. Is Adam and Eve were exiled from the Garden of, or from the garden of Eden, not Gethsemane, that was somebody else. But in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are exiled. But then in chapter 4 of the book of Genesis, we see that Cain is further exiled. What sin is doing is further displacing us from God and further displacing us from our communities. It continues to grip a hold of us in ways that it seems to be as a root system that's just coming over us and tricking us into grappling all of our lives. All of humanity seems to be wrong. Time is wrong. Community is wrong, as we've been talking about the past several weeks. So what in the world do we have uh, chapter 5 of the book of Genesis for? Again, we go to who the first audience of this book would have been. It's to that people that are in the wilderness. It's to that people that have just been delivered out of the land of Egypt, just as we were talking about in Psalm 105 this morning as we were reading together. In Psalm 105, they've been delivered from Egypt. You saw how God delivered them from Egypt. You saw how God was the one that ultimately hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yes, Pharaoh hardened his own heart, but yes, God was the one that was working in all these things. God is always working in every situation. He's working in ways that I may not understand. Now, He's not the one causing sin, but He might work through somebody who is going to cause the sin. He might work through situations that I don't understand, God, why are you doing this? 
again, when I'm reading the book of Genesis, i got a whole lot of questions. i got a whole lot of questions I'm having to come to God in and say, am I really going to trust you after all this? And do you know what the resounding answer of the book of Genesis is written to us for? Is yes. Yes, you can trust in me. Yes, you can trust what I am doing is for your good. That even for Cain, his casting out in some sense was meant for the good of the community. Cain felt like it was not for his good. So God said, well, just wait. I'll really take care of the situation. And yet what we see by the end of chapter 4 is there's still self. That the seed of Eve has been preserved. The seed of Adam is preserved, yes, and the sinfulness. But yes, too, the seed of Eve has been preserved in Seth being born. We have a new generation that is coming on board. It wasn't Cain and Abel that was going to save us. Is it going to be Seth that saves us? But the problem with asking is if it was Seth that was going to save us is chapter 5, verse 8. And all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Seth is not going to be our Savior. Seth is not going to be the one who pulls the rest of the community into the presence of God once again. He's not going to be the one who reunites us in the perfect fellowship with Him again. You're going into the holiday season. You're going into Thanksgiving week. If you're anything like me, you're going to find something. You're going to have all the wonderful expectations of Thanksgiving Day. And something's going to be off. Something Thanksgiving Day is not going to feel right. Something that day is going to feel different. I don't know. Maybe y'all are perfect and you're not like me. Something about that day is going to feel different. Something about that day is going to feel off. But you know what's miraculously going to happen is? It's probably going to be next year. You know what's going to happen? You're going to feel like this year was a whole lot better than what last year was. You're going to feel like all of these different things. There's something about us that tends to glorify the past somehow. We tend to look at the past and say it was so perfect and it was so good. But y'all, we're living the past even now. We're living it and we see the brokenness of it and we see the complications of it. There's something about all of this that's not right. But can I tell you, now I'm biased. Mr. Terry and I, we have the wonderful blessing of getting to host most of our family there. Some have conflicts. That's okay. We'll see them the next round. It doesn't matter to me when the next round is so long as I get to see you. That's all I want to do is I want to fellowship with you. We have that great blessing of hosting and I look forward to a wonderful time. But I know something's going to be different. I know there's going to be some evidence of brokenness in there. The problem is, as the generations continue, there always seems to be something broken within us. We've been singing psalms and hymns throughout the centuries of church history. As we sang that one from the 8th century, do you see that it's saying, Be Thou My Vision? Do you see that it might be associating with some of the same problems? I was reading a little bit of the history on that, on that song this morning, and it's actually referencing St. Patrick as we know him to be. And I didn't know some of the stories. There's a lot of stories about him, but one of the other stories that gets told about St. Patrick is that he was told by a king that they couldn't light any fires until the fires of the pagan religion had been lit. And then once the fires of the pagans had been lit, then anybody else could light a fire so long as it looked like it was all pagan fires. Well, St. Patrick had a problem with that. And what he did was he went ahead and lit a fire. Well, you would think that the king would invite him up and kill him, wouldn't you? You would think that the king would exercise judgment against him. But instead, the king was amused by him as in some way, maybe not funny, ha-ha, but he was taken at him and he looked at him and he was impressed with him and he said, you just go on about your business. He was so impressed with the fact that St. Patrick didn't care that he let him go. 
Beloved, some of us are afraid to take even such action in our lives that we would see something like that. If we look at the brokenness of this world and we look at the edicts of this world and we see that sin is on our trail, that Adam dies, that Seth dies, that every one of the lineage of Adam is dying in this chapter. If there's one verse you continue to hear is, and he died, and he died, and he died. Surely somebody's looking at me right now. They were recently in a service. that That's all that the preacher kept saying was he was emphasizing, and he died, and he died. And there's a reality to that that we need to get from chapter five is everybody's dying every single generation is passing away what are we supposed to do my great-grandmother used to sit where my father is sitting this morning i can still recall her getting up and praising god i can recall her when she was out of her mind do you know the last thing she was able one of the last things she was able to do was to give a testimony about god she somehow recognized that though she had lost most of her mind that she still belonged to god that still amazes me to this day she had overcome that obstacle. She probably did. I don't know if she knew what she was doing. But in that moment, she was trying to praise God. In that moment, she was doing what she knew to be right. Does that ring any bells from chapter 4? Of telling Cain, if you do good, it will be well with you. But if you don't do good, sin lieth at the door. Beloved, do you know that for most of us, what we see in this world, we see the problems with it, we see the sinfulness of it, and it takes the wind out of ourselves. We just see all the brokenness of the world. I don't know, maybe you're better than me again, but I look at the brokenness of this situation and I'm saying, God, what's the point of it? There's a lot of times that I'm looking at the rest of this and I'm saying, God, what's the point of it? And frankly, for most people, one of the biggest allegations I hear about the Old Testament, it's sad to me, but one of the biggest arguments I hear about people reading the Old Testament is, I just get tired of all the genealogies. And I'm sorry, it's always said with that little spirit. I don't know, they just did that with their whole body. Because I just get tired of reading the genealogies. And I'm like, you whiny thing, you. Read them anyway. Do you know why? You may latch on to something that's good. Do you know why? Because you may want somebody to visit you. I don't know where all of my loved ones are buried, but I can start telling you some of the places where they're buried. I was getting to be in a meeting today that we have grandparents buried in the same cemetery. They're centuries ago. They're generations ago. I've never met them, but I've heard wonderful stories about them. That's cool to me to be able to have all that history and all that experience and to understand that my great-great-grandfather on a Sunday morning was somewhere else standing in a pulpit somewhere and proclaiming the truth of God. And this many generations later, I get to have the same blessing. I get to have the same honor. I go back in my family lineage. I've got other great grandfathers. I've got grandfathers that go even further back than that that I can trace as pastors. And I'm like, God, you would count me in that same genealogy. You would count me this many thousands of years later to be proclaiming your gospel. Beloved, it's a good thing for us to remember those who have gone on. It's a good thing for us to remember these hymns that so easily are forgotten because they're old, because they don't matter anymore. Why would we sing a hymn from the 8th century because be thou my vision is still needed for each and every one of us. Why would we sing all those new hymns? Why don't we just sing the old hymns? Because do you want to look at Christ alone and tell me that's not a wonderful hymn? Do you want to tell me that that doesn't beautifully present the gospel? Beloved, as much as there is sin and destruction in every generation, there is also the hope given to us in the generations of Adam. Do you see that this is the stories about Adam? There's a few key details that are unique to this passage. Just a few of them that I've listed out. If you should like, remind me, email me, somehow contact me. I got bored the other day and I just made a timeline of when all these different things were. And I saw how long Adam lived. I saw how long he lived. But before Adam, or after Adam died, Noah was born. Do you know that Adam died hopeless? Do you know that Adam died without knowing? All that he had to cling to 
let me say that. He didn't die hopeless, did he? It looked like he died hopeless. Because he didn't die with somebody that was going to be the Savior of the people. He didn't die with somebody that was going to be the one used of God to save his people. When he died in 936, however old Adam was, when he died then, so many of these other generations had been born, but Noah had not yet been born. And do you know that when he died, Enoch had not yet been taken? When, Enoch di when Adam died, he was the first to go. Adam was the first on the planet. Adam was the first one to die. I wonder what that was like. Many of his generations, I can't remember how many it was. I should have done that. I should have brought the math with me so I could remember. Many of the generations see Adam die. I wonder what they're thinking in that moment. I'm wondering what they're thinking when they're looking at the big mama in my life who was in so many ways just the testimony of faithfulness. She, in so many ways, when you, when you knew the testimony of big mama, she seemed to be the one that there was a lot of, there was a lot of things about big mama. She was kind of, she was kind of, in our family, she was a spiritual marker of sorts that I want to say. She was somebody you could look at because of that testimony, all the way from back in 1936, that she could testify about all those things. And I can almost give you her testimony still to this day. What's going to happen when Big Mama dies? It's going to go on. Beloved, I recognize a new group of people sitting in these pews from what it was when my great-grandfather stood behind the same book board and preached the gospel. And do you know that causes me to rejoice? And knowing that the promise goes on, that though Papa Lawrence died 30 years ago, though he's been gone for 30 years, the gospel is still being proclaimed from this pulpit. When I die, when I move on, whatever happens, whatever it is that happens, I pray that God is going to fill somebody else. And even if it's not in this building, even if it's not in this location, I take joy in knowing the fact that God is going to keep the generations going. When Adam died, what did they all do? They all just kept living. I don't mean to bring up bad memories for him, but I remember the day that my father's mother passed away. I was at work. And my dad texted me the most comforting thing in the world when I couldn't get off immediately. I had an air and I had to run it. I was the only one that could run it at that time. I had to run it before I could get off work and go be with my family. And he so politely told me in that text message, Dad, I've never forgotten this. You said, life goes on, son. That's the biggest comfort I think I've ever had as life goes on. Now, yeah, I'd faced other grandparents dying. I'd faced other deaths in my life. But there was something so precious that day when my father texted me, life goes on. When I look to generations in the book of Genesis, when I look to generations in the book of the Old Testament, do you know what I see is life goes on. Destruction goes on, but so does life. Destruction goes on, but so do the promises of God. As bad as it was, it's interesting to me to look at the genealogy. Another observation we may make is that Enoch was the one that walked with God and he was no more. Do you know that in all of these different ones, it seems to be that Enoch was the only one that was walking with God? In the first 2,000 years of church history, it looks like if you do the math, it looks like Noah died in the year 2004 from the beginning. I don't know what the BC would be. I'm not that smart. Don't ask me to figure that out. But in the very beginnings of time, if you just strictly do the numbers, within 2,004 years, we see that Noah has died. So within 2,000 years of church history, of, of history of the world rather, we see how badly it is that we only have record of one man walking with God and then Noah being the next generation that's walking with God. We see the unfaithfulness of humanity toward God and yet God is our good creator. God is the one who has given us all things. He's the one that's in charge of this world, and yet so few are walking with God. But what a wonderful blessing it was 
that Enoch walked with God and Enoch was not for God took him. It seems to be directly communicated with the fact that he walked with God. We know elsewhere in Scripture, I believe it's in the book of Jude or maybe it's in the book of Second Peter, one of the two, maybe in both, we know that apparently Enoch was a preacher of righteousness. We don't see Enoch hardly mentioned anywhere else, but we know that he was a preacher of righteousness. There was something about Enoch that knew that they needed to be living differently than what the rest of the world lived like. The testimony of my big mama. She wasn't perfect, I know that. But the testimony of my big mama that I know of, you got to walk different. You can't be like everybody else. My favorite story of my big mama's, my favorite testimony that she would give was not her salvation testimony, though she was most known for that. My favorite testimony of my big mama was her burning some greens one day. She felt that the Lord was telling her she had a, she had a thing of greens or whatever it was, green beans. I don't know what it was, but she had a pot of something on the stove and she was cooking it and she had the impression that she needed to go pray. Now, her prayer spot was down in the basement. I did not like going down in her basement. Those stairs were like this. It was dangerous to go pray for her. It was dangerous for her to go down to that basement, but she knew what she was doing. Big mama went down and she prayed. She got back up and she said that it wasn't good enough. She had to go back. She said, I think she wound up burning the pot of beans is what she always said. But I always got that. And the big mama knew she had to trust in God. She was saved in 1936. I don't know what year it happened with the pot of beans. But I know that big mama was faithful to go back to God. I know that in the life of others that I've lost, it's good to see the testimonies. I've got some that weren't faithful to God. I can go back to some family members, and I'll never forget meeting one family member. He's a distant cousin of mine, and he said, trust me, you come from the good side of the family. And when I got to know the other side of the family, I got to thinking, well, they're not perfect, but maybe I did come from the good side of the family sometimes. Beloved, we've all got generations we don't care to talk about. We've all got generations that were unfaithful. But do you know that even the story of the unfaithfulness of Cain was preserved? Even the unfaithfulness of his generation was preserved. And to be quite frank, in the generations of Adam, I only read of one that was that faithful apart from Noah. I don't read where Adam was faithful. I don't read him where Adam walked with God and he was no more. I don't read where Methuselah walked with God and was no more. It's interesting. Lamech, the son of Methuselah, died before Methuselah did. Lamech actually died before Methuselah did. And Methuselah, when he died, when you run the math, it coincides with the flood. It seems to me that Methuselah may have died in the flood. It seems weird to me that he died the same year. He died the same year. I don't know if he died before the flood. There's a lot of questions I don't know. But it's interesting to note to me that he died in the same year of the flood. Noah and his family were preserved because of what God told Noah. But even Noah's granddaddy didn't get in on it. Beloved, you may be a part of something that even your grandparents weren't a part of. You may be a part of something in your life that is so much greater. Beloved, it's not about whether or not every generation in your family has believed. Though that is a wonderful gift if they have. I praise God for the generations it's been praised down, it's been passed down from. What ultimately matters is your faithfulness. Enoch had to be faithful. Noah had to be faithful. All the rest of these generations were not faithful. It's interesting to me to look at some of the Numerology, I don't want to get too much into the numerology because honestly, I'm just not versed in it. But it's interesting to note to me that Enoch is the seventh from Adam. And that seven always seems to be God's day of rest, God's perfection. God is ending His work. God's work has been perfected and that's when He ends it. And He ended His work with Enoch by calling Him to Himself. 
It's interesting to me to note that the next generation begins the eighth one, and it was through the eighth one that in his generation, Methuselah the eighth, he was the one that ultimately was the one that his grandson brought about the promise. His grandson, Noah, was the one that brought the one that was going to preserve them through the flood. Generational faithfulness is happening in some way, in some degree. God is preserving his generations day in and day out. If I had one note to give you from Genesis chapter 5 is, the seed of Adam and Eve continues. As does sin, but as do the promises of God. In every generation, sin is persisting, and we're going to have to wrestle with sin all around us. In every generation, we're going to have to seek and strive to be faithful unto God. Just because you belong to somebody that was a good believer doesn't mean you're a good believer. My big mama had a powerful testimony. All of her children professed to hope before they died. But not all of her grandchildren have. She drug a bunch of them grandbabies all around, hearing different preachers, hearing different revival meetings, hearing all these different things. Just because you've been around it your whole life, just because you've been raised in it all your life, does not mean it's genuine within you. It may be something that, it, no, it's not a maybe. You're going to have to take the step of your faith. You're going to have to be with Enoch and you're going to have to walk with God. You're going to have to be as Noah. You're going to have to step out on faith that God's going to do something. You're going to have to step in faith in what God is leading you to do. Despite the sinfulness of the world, the promises of God also continues. And this is fulfilled in all of church history. You see that He called to His church and He said, church, you're going to have to go through moments of persecution. You're going to have to go through these things. And the birthing of the church was in a situation situation of persecution. It was in a situation of the unfaithfulness of the world was abounding, but so was the promised hope of Christ because He told them that He was going to go, but that He would be returning in like manner, that He was going to come again. Beloved, we're still living in that blessed promise this morning is that we are expecting the triumphant return of Christ in that day which is to come. Do you know when that's going to be? No, I got a line in Mark that tells me that not even the, the, not even the angels nor the Son knows, but the Father alone knows when that's going to be. Beloved, I don't know when that day's going to be. What about all the signs and wonders? They're given to us to know. They're given to us to know, but ultimately we just got to rest in hope in Jesus alone. Adam knew the promise of God, but Adam died not seeing the promise of God come into fruition. Beloved, my big mama stood many a times, and I imagine her husband, I never met him. My great-grandfather, I imagine he stood in this same location many a times and said that Jesus is coming, are you ready? Well, great-granddaddy's been gone for 30 years. But you know what I have the privilege of telling you? Jesus is coming back. I don't know when. I like that song that we were singing in Christ alone as we look to it. Let me turn to it real quick. In Christ alone, what it says, if I can find it, Real quick, it says, yes, in verse 4 it says, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from His hand till He returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. 
what a blessed truth that we're able to sing when we look to the generations of Adam in chapter 5 is, yes, we know that sin persists, but yes, we know the promises of God persist too. We've looked in the first five chapters so far and we see that it paints a bleak picture. But beloved, for a people that were captured in the wilderness, they have hope that yes, even though an entire generation is going to have to die out before they enter into the promised land, they are able to cling to the precious promises of God for one day they shall enter the promised land. Each and every one of us are able to make that same proclamation this morning is though sin persists in our generations and though we don't know how to navigate it perfectly beloved we have the promise that Christ is going to return and we shall reign with him in all of eternity we shall be gathered together with him in all of eternity to where sin will be finally and fully deleted sin will be finally and fully defeated and we reign with him in absolute triumphant victory why does the generations of Adam matter because, beloved, as much as sin persists, so does the precious promise that we have this morning. I pray that that may be true in your life. That you may know the precious promises of God. That you may cling to them in the good times. That you may cling to them in the bad times. But whatever you do, cling to them and pass them to the next generation. Let us go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we're thankful for the precious promises you've given us. We're thankful though we live in a world that's filled with sin, though we've got more sin in our lives than any of us would care to admit that we have to daily die from and daily repent of. God, we're just thankful that you preserve us. God, I don't see anything that was worthy with Enoch other than he just walked with you. God, I don't see anything other than much in Noah other than he, worked part, he walked perfectly with you, O oh God, in his generation. Beloved, I don't see anything good about any of us that are gathered here this morning, but God, I know that because you have made us like your son, because you preserve us in your son. I know that Enoch wasn't the final savior, God. I know that Noah wasn't the final savior. But I know that your son truly is the final triumphant savior, O oh God. Father, I thank you that he gave his life for us, that he extended his righteousness unto us, that you may declare us righteousness through him, O oh God. Father, I'm thankful that he's seated at your right hand, making intercession for us. For Father, we don't deserve to come to talk to you this morning. But God, I sure am thankful that you hear us through him. God, I'm thankful for the day you're going to send him back and gather us. Father, for some of us, we may say it in our generation, I don't know, God. It may go on another 2,000 years, but Father, whatever it is, God, I know as much as sin persists, God, your word persists, your promises persist. Let us cling to them this morning in you, O oh God. Father, we pray you'd give us that strength. In thy son, Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen.